Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today is my friend Jay Griffith. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. So happy to be here, Richard. Uh, Jay is somebody that is going to talk about a few things. He's going to talk about his role with Faith Again and Faith Matters. We'll probably get to that at the end of the podcast towards the end. Um, Jay is going to still share his story why he stays a member of our faith. And um, Jay, I met Jay in October of 2017, and he helped me kind of in my own faith crisis to just find that there's kind of a middle way to stay and live with a little nuance and a little less certainty and a, and some paradox. So Jay is an active member of the church, and I think some of the things that might be helpful for you if you're trying to find a way to stay and need kind of an example, Jay doesn't want to be held up as an example, um, but he might have some things that help you. Jay also has um, a family that has left the church, and he's close with his family. So his wife and his three kids are not participating in the church. And um, if you are in a family where people have left the church, um, I think some of the things Jay will talk about will help you just love your family, support your family, and keep the family circle together. Um, Jay is also um, a friend, and I'm just really glad to have him on on the podcast. And this is kind of long overdue to have Jay on the podcast. He's someone who's helped me and I think he will help you. He's also um, a friend of our, our podcast producer, which I haven't given a shout out to a long time is Tom Garbett. So when I um, record these, I send them off to my podcast guy, Tom Garbett. I think you were his young men's leader a long time ago. Yeah. And Tom is a terrific guy and, and uploads these um, to make them possible for you to hear. And Tom's been me, with me for a long time from episode one. So grateful for Tom and the role he does as our podcast man. So is that okay for an introduction, Jay? That's wonderful. Thanks. So you could start with your own story. You could start with your family story. Wherever, or you could start with Faith Again, Faith Matters. Even though I said it might be the end, you could start wherever you want to start. I think I'll start um, being born of parents who um, had a lot of problems in their marriage, and so I was adopted out as a baby, and um, that was a fortunate thing. You know, I discovered um, a couple of years ago, a little over a couple of years ago, my birth family, due to a calling in the church that I was not looking forward to. <laughs> after being young men's president, having to do with family history. And, and then fast forward six years later, my wife's in bed and scrolling through. She had more interest in pursuing my family origins than I did. Um, and uh, she finds an obituary and then asks me for the maiden name of my birth mother, which I only had because of a calling in family history and getting some mentoring in that, taking a taking the names up of my birth parents anyway and finding out the really messy complex painful um, uh, history of my family my birth family made me even more grateful for those two lovely converts that adopted me um, my mom was um, getting close to 40 um, my dad was on a second marriage converted from catholicism when they adopted me, they met at church in a little branch in France Pass, Oregon. Um, and they, I was their only child. 
my father was an only child. I did have a foster Indian brother through the church, church's placement, Indian placement program for a while in a church-owned farm in Hanover, Utah. An interesting couple of years of experience um, being on my own and giving me a blessing that most people and children don't have anymore, and that's lots of solitude and chance to explore nature and work hard on a farm. So I think those are all things, there are things that contributed. My dad, in his conversion, he wrote it up, and I know shared it with me maybe when he was in his 50s or 60s, his search for truth. So after his Catholicism kind of failed him, he explored world religions for about 10 years until he was um, approached by missionaries and read the Book of Mormon and had for him a profound spiritual experience that told him it was true and became a committed lifetime member. My mom was a committed lifetime member, but in a different way. She just said it made sense to her. It seemed like a good way to live. I never got the impression she had any major epiphany like my father did. My dad and mom um, were a bit different, and um, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a school teacher, so I had the good fortune of not living in a house that was ever owned, but renting and moving in different places. And when I left on my mission from Brookings, Oregon, after living in Utah for a little while, I went back there. And um, we lived in a single white trailer house in a trailer park that um, put us in contact with lots of interesting people. Brookings was a little logging fishing town um, on the ocean, on the California border. And I don't remember growing up with what I see on the Wasatch Front, where there's this kind of dichotomy of those who have and those who have not. Everybody just seemed to not have a lot. <laughs> and so I never thought much about not having no money. And so um, I worked um, all through high school to save money for my mission. Gave me some good experiences doing that and helping support my parents and buying my own car and clothes and all that. Again, I have no regrets about growing up that way. My parents were dear people and they often brought unusual people in. They, they seemed to be aware and concerned about people kind of on the fringes and I appreciated that. Um, my dad served as the surf, first bishop in that branch that became a ward, which is where I left for my mission for Dearborn, Michigan Mission, 1980 to 82. Lots of wonderful people there. Um, I had one brief sort of a spiritual experience before that i mean that that i would say pointed me towards the church being the place i should be and that was when i was 14 the day i was receiving my um patriarchal blessing and i was sitting in sacrament which meant i was sitting in on a group of folding chairs in a very small first stage part of a, a brick building and just looking around at at my second family again being an only child the branch was my second family and i was one of very few lds people in my school and uh looking around and just feeling like this is where i should be this is the right place for me so nothing profound but it did you know mean something to me and then the first <laughs> the first uh within the first month of my mission i um we, my companion and i were asked to go see I think give a blessing to a young ward member, young girl who had leukemia. 
and so we went to the hospital in Albert, Michigan there. And um, uh, we walked into the room and here was this skeleton-like um, young girl sitting on top of the bed, her arms wrapped around her knees, um, hairless, rocking back and forth and weeping. And I hadn't had a lot of experience in my life, very little, with um, that kind of traumatic suffering. And it caused me to ask, you know, what kind of a God does this happen? Been a lot of years. I'm 62. And I cannot tell this without tears. And so that was my first faith crisis. And I really had to think hard, pray hard for a number of weeks trying to process that. And um, out of different options from there is no God to there's a God who walked away and has no involvement to sadistic God who this was just in part of a big game to finally just kind of rely on, this is all I had to rely on, is my positive past experiences. Um, seen some prayers answered, sometimes in dramatic ways for me. Um, kind and loving parents, which lots of people don't get in this life. And just trying to be patient and trust that, that God somehow is bigger and holds more than I can understand. Later on in my mission, uh, there was another crisis of faith as I got to love um, these people who believed in reincarnation and um, were just kind, generous people. And again, this, this idea that I don't think the church teaches directly, but sometimes we assimilate that, that you know, Kind of all goodness and truth flows from us um, at, at our church and through our prophets and leaders. Um, that was challenged, and and I've never gone back to that kind of a belief. Um, my belief is much more inclusive of all of God's children. That that as God has said numerous times, as our own modern revelation says, that God works through all people and reveals His will. So, anyway, I, I loved the people in my mission and had some beautiful experiences, some profound experiences where I cannot rationalize events as coincidence or random, that um, something else, power is greater than me, were at play there. And not because of my worthiness or righteousness. So then I get home, I'm thinking, my dad wasn't, my dad had two bachelor's degrees and he was not, even though he was a school teacher, not a fan, real fan of continuing education at college. So that hadn't been much on my mind. I worked in a lumber mill in Northern California before my mission, besides other jobs before to get money. And I did learn at that really physically hard lumber mill job that I did not want to use my back for a living. That uh, I was hoping for something better. And so I decided to go to college and 
in my mind, my goal was I was going to get through college before I got married. That's, that was the plan. I come home. My parents, while I was on my mission, moved to Salt Lake downtown, right across from where the Deseret, I mean, where the conference center is, used to be the Deseret GM, some old apartments coming to apartments. And a little two-bedroom apartment, and I moved in that spare room and um, worked during the summer and started school and went to a singles ward that was at the top of Enzyme Peak. And that's where I met my wife. Uh, she was leading the music, and I was serving as executive secretary to the bishop at that point, so I, I applied him for a little bit of information, but he didn't divulge everything. just um, told me she was a wonderful gal and everything. So this was about three months being home. And so I take her out and um, on that, yeah, it was, I think that first date, I find out something that she really um, was frightened that I would find out. And that's that she, I was just going through her, her back then it was vinyl record, record albums. And I saw two different names on there on some of the albums. And I just, I wasn't suspicious. I just said, well, who's this other name? And it got really quiet. And she said, well, um, I was married before. And um, so I knew she was about five years older than me. Um, I, yeah, I didn't know she was a widow. But so she told me the story of marrying her first husband, knowing that he had cancer. And then um, I think it was 25, 25, I think, when he died thinking that, you know, he would be, be, he would beat the cancer, that the doctors kind of gave him that expectation. And, and they got married believing that was going to happen. They got married in the Idaho Falls temple. Um, he had no, well, he had a children, child from a first marriage that was with the mother. Um, so anyway, I just said, and then she told me the story of afterwards for the last three years. So she, she already had her bachelor's. She already graduated from college, had a good job actually just lived up the street from me, the top of Main Street, um, near the Capitol. And um, so she just said, you know, I've, I've, every time I've been engaged, every time it gets close, um, these men have a really hard time knowing I can't be sealed. And um, so I, did, I said, you know, let me, I, I need to, I want to grapple with this first before I go any further. Because um, I don't want to put you through that pain. So she happened to be going up to Idaho to see her family, which is from Idaho Falls, and um, for a number of days, and it was an ideal time. So I prayed, fasted, researched, talked to my parents. They were not excited about that idea. And um, I could not find anything in our scriptures or literature that really gave me any hope of being sealed to her or being, in the end, a second-class citizen in the next life. Um, but my experience on my mission and working through what the character of God is and what I believe God is um, led me to believe that if I continued to date Jane and God wanted me or, or directed me. And I don't think there's one person you can marry in this life, but you know, it felt good to, to marry her. Then it would all work out and I would not be a second class citizen in the next life. 
mean, if God's bigger than that. So she came back and we dated and within three months of meeting and dating each other, we were married. And so she helped me to get to most of my college. I, I actually didn't finish. I had three full years and then a friend of mine, a mentor who helped me choose my profession. We were asked to serve in a calling together and he was a designer for the LDS church. Anyway, we started a business together. Jane was kind of anxious to start having kids because she was getting on the older side of things at that point. And, and an opportunity came up for start a business and he was not liking his job anymore, the church. And so we did that. We actually bought a duplex together in the avenues. He lived on one side and my wife and I lived on the other. That was when interest rates were, well, it, we had to pay $5,000 a piece to get it to 13%. So while they're inching up, that kind of gives you a frame of reference back in the 80s. So um, let me just kind of fast forward around this marriage thing. Um, so a few years ago, Carolyn Pearson wrote a book called Ghosts of Polygamy Path, Ghosts of Eternal Polygamy. And um, Jane and I both saw that she was asking for stories, kind of like you do, Richard, <laughs> seeking stories about, about polygamy. And Jane and I had never, never thought about um, our situation being related polygamy um, or that a lot of the angst and difficulty that we had and that Jane had going forward particularly I was at peace with it although we still had difficulties and we tried talking to different you know I particularly I did temple presidents about um, you know what could be done if we could be sealed and the advice that we pretty consistently got was, well, you can have the first ceiling canceled. And that didn't feel comfortable to either one of us. He was a good man. And again, the, the basic foundational principle is that God's just and it'll all work out. So, and that's what some of them said. And, but the conundrum was, well, if it all work out, then why can't you just let me be sealed to Jane? And, and then the daughter that we adopted when she was three and a half could be sealed someone she knows instead of a name that she's never heard about. Our daughter never did get sealed. And then our boys, our biological boys, are you know, born under the covenant to um, Jane and Bart, which is fine. I, you know, I don't, again, <laughs> I don't worry about those details. I, I think, I, I think, you know, it's, it's human nature for us to want to button down everything and know everything. And um, once, you know, th God has, eased me into because of challenges and sometimes super painful experiences to just not worry about being so certain about things and knowing everything. Um, he does repeatedly ask us to live by faith. <laughs> and so I find life much more peaceful and, um, and better just not worrying about things and focusing on just the very simple, basic things that Jesus taught. So anyway, um, I don't know, Richard, where should I go from there? That, so anyway, that book, so we put in the story, Carolyn Pearson uses my story. By that time, I've been doing this Faith Again group, which is a whole other story about how that came about. Um, 
But one of the attendees of and friend of the this group says, hey, I think your story is in Carolyn Pearson's book. I mean, both of I just, Jane and I wrote our stories and then we didn't think anything about it. We sent them in. And um, so look on page 100 and yeah, there it is. And she actually accidentally uses Jane's name. She uses my version because she wanted a male telling the story because she had mostly female people that were sending in their stories, women. Um, because frankly, there's a whole lot more pain on the women's side than the men's side. And I wasn't speaking so much from a place of pain, um, but just how I didn't connect it to polygamy and I didn't understand how much pain this ceiling structure that we have um, in our still belief that polygamy is part of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ has caused people. So that was, you know, all these things, you know, um, are fortunate to challenge me. Um, so anyway, I, so t- talking about other things that have challenged me, um, my, my oldest son, when he was about 15, started to pull away from the church. He's ADHD. And so he was, we watched some videos and read some things together and we all consented, including him that we try, you know, medication for that. And it did make a big difference, but as he got a little older, starting in his early teens, he didn't like what it made him feel like. So um, he wanted to get off it. So we took him off it, and then things changed. You know, school was, became much more difficult. Um, he became more challenging. And he started to pull away from the church. And, and I would say for my boys particularly, and, pro- and even my daughter, maybe there were a number of factors from them pulling away from the church, and part of them, um, I think, I'm responsible for. Um, I, you, you know, there was there's a part of me in that part of my life where I, you know, could be re- somewhat liberal thinking in ways, and then, but but the church meant everything to me, um, and trying to hew to that and be a responsible priesthood holder and containing my family and keeping them in the church. And, you know, so we were, when I say we, I, you know, kind of pushed us along and instead of maybe pulled (laughs) us along in religiously doing family home evening and scripture study and prayers day and night and all that stuff and going to church and, and, uh, um, and, and sometimes unintentionally, but in hindsight, you know, using the church and, and strength of youth and things like that, um, more as a, as a, as a prod instead of an enticement. Um, and, um, but that, that wasn't good, you know, that wasn't helpful. So I think part of it, that's my responsibility. And I would say, as I've thought over time and more critically and thoughtfully about it and curiously that I think the church, there's parts of the church and how they teach that contributed to me feeling that way and thinking that way. Those are things that I hope, you know, will get better. The new strength of youth pamphlet, I think, is an example of moving more in that direction. We've seen our Sunday school curriculum improve. I 
personally, I think we have a long ways to go still <laughs> in being more open to truth and teaching things that, especially as I teach with the African refugees in the branch that I serve in, that we just often don't teach practical things enough of in terms of relationships. And relationships are everything, you know? We, we, we're often teaching these kind of ethereal things. And for these kids particularly that are often in broken families and, and with parents that are deeply damaged from the trauma, from the trauma they've experienced, some of these people, these parents and, and some of their kids, not as long, but 20 years in a refugee camp before they get here to a completely different culture. Anyway, sometimes I wish we, you know, the curriculum is not quite built for that. <laughs> but I would say, as I talk to my friends in my home ward, my beautiful home ward with people I love and, and appreciate, um, and as they talk about some of the challenges they're having with their youth, because that's what I do is work with the youth boys. And um, I mean, they're having actually some similar struggles. You know, the, Jesus was so good at somehow blending and melding the spiritual and the, and the temporal and, and, and the immediate needs of people. And um, sometimes it, we, we get so caught up in these grand ideas, you know, for me, some which may be truly as it is in the next life and, and in this life, and some were people's just best guesses and believing that's what God wanted them to do at the time. And maybe it was, you know, but we're fortunate to believe in continuing revelation that God continues to work with us and change things. So I'm rambling all over, Richard. Where was I going with that? <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. Just keep sharing your story. You're doing a great job, Jay. Um, so aspects of the church that, yeah, that um, I think contributed to me and, and I know other people maybe not being the best parents that we can um, because of um, this, this weight of fear of, of, I guess, what we call salvation and, and, and perfection in this life. Salvation, the next perfection in this life. And so, you know, when my, my first son kind of broke me in, it's kind of like my faith crisis stuff. You know, I, I didn't have one moment in my life where my shelf broke. I had continuing <laughs> books falling off the shelf over my life and, and having to, you know, having things, having to really be curious and examine and, and, and explore. And um, some of the things, you know, I found would be kind of shocking and difficult. But again, like on my mission, I, I would work with faith and hope, and um, and, and then I, I would keep looking at my experience within the church that kept that, that you know about every good thing in my life and every relationship with some dear atheist friends with more ex Mormons than I can count. <laughs> These ongoing relationships that that nurture me and that I hopefully nurture them. Um, are tied to the church, you know, in one way or another. And, and it, things that I 
didn't intentionally set out to do. And, and, and our church has a framework that is really valuable. Um, you know, John Tillin recently, when in interviewing um, Patrick Mason, he, he just, John Tillin said, I, you know, I cannot, I've not been able to create a community as good as the Latter-day Saint Church that I left and that, you know, I'm very critical of. I have not been able to do that. And for me, from a young age, my father taught me the value of home teaching, as it was called back then, now ministering. And um, I, I think because of that, I continued to feel very strongly and passionate about that. And I mean, I have friends going back many decades. Um, one, one dear gay friend, you know, that long left the church ago, long ago left the church. It's still, I'm still friends with him and his family, his ex-wife and his children. Well, it's one child. He lost one. Um, and those relationships have taught me so much. It's not, I mean, I could look at all of those and say, yes, I did this and this and this for them. I served them. But um, it feels like I got so much more in return by being willing to create relationship, by being willing to just genuinely, sincerely get invested in the relationship. Um, and when I've done that, I haven't always done that, but when I've done that, uh, particularly with people that have been not in the mainstream of the church, I've not done that as well with those for whatever reason. Um, but when I've been assigned or asked, you know, give me a single mom, give me someone that's struggling over the years, um, it's, it's mattered. And, and, and frankly, having, having that structure to sometimes remind me of the commitment I made to do that, or that goes back to the commitment I made to follow Christ and mourn with those that mourn, right? Serve each other. That, um, that structure of, you know, as we know it now, is priesthood authority. Um, has has been very useful in helping me grow and become, um, I think, a better servant to God. So I'm grateful for that for the church. You know, I there's there's many things that um, I'm challenged by the church. They're LGBTQ, you know, dance. Although I've seen much improvement in my life from. Yeah, much, much improvement. But, you know, from what I believe, where we need to be, we've got some work to do. And I, I can be patient with that. Um, and I, I can give these leaders grace. Um, not, and I'm not saying that as if I'm somehow beyond them or no more than them or I don't know. All, all I know is that once I was, you know, I gave 20 bucks to to support Proposition 8, um, even though I had gay friends, and, and we talked about it. We talked about gay marriage, and, you know, I, it was, I said, I, I can believe in civil unions, but I, I'm not comfortable yet with calling marriage that. But um, having some wonderful experiences um, with these people and their patience with me, you know, um, and still maintaining the relationship with me 
despite our differences um, was helpful. And then listening to a podcast that Jane introduced me to, my wife, Jane, um, on Mormon Stories years ago with John Gustav Rathal, who I've you know, met, he and his um, husband, and had them come to uh, offer their thoughts of faith again few years ago, but listening to that, that interview that John did with him for both Jane and I was pretty profound and, and John's just a remarkable soul. I mean, to hold that space as he does. And then interestingly, you know, um, I have, you know, I have friends, um, that really dislike John Dillon and, um, you know, John and Dylan and I talked a little bit superficially off and on. Um, and I understand the criticism that he gets. And at the same time, I, um, I appreciate some of the things that he's pointed to. And he did a TED Talk um, about the church and LGBTQ a number of years ago that, that kind of, that was what I think pushed me over the edge. Thought, yeah, I, I cannot justify not supporting gay marriage. Um, that's been, you know, several years ago, I mean, a number of years ago, because I, I think it's been at least seven, maybe eight, maybe nine, I don't know, years ago when I first marched with Mormons building bridges in the gay pride parade. (laughs) So again, you're taking a guy that gave some money to Proposition J to, to marching in the gay pride parade. And, um, what a marvelous experience that was to see the tears of people you passed and them wanting to hug you and hold you to see people from our faith often for them the faith that they were in but can't feel comfortable in anymore um that felt like they were rejected by and to have these people um again just reach out and just want to touch you and 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 thank you and and hug you you know it's pretty profound it's kind of funny because I and another woman that lived down in Provo, and she um, attended faith again back in the day, she and her husband, and she was a Relief Society president at the time, so she had to hurry back for that. I was young men's president. I had to hurry back <laughs> to get to our church callings after doing that. This last year was interesting. Um, our mutual friend, Suzanne Stott, was, who serves in the African Refugee Branch, was asked to um, address at the Capitol steps, the beginning of Pride Pride Week, and and be one of the what are they called that lead the parade? Grand Marshal. Thank you, Grand Marshal. Be one of the Grand Marshals. So I was up there supporting her, and you know, um, my friend Erica Munson, who helped begin with Kendall Wilcox, another friend, Mormons Building Bridges. You know, those have just kind of moved their separate ways, and then Erica and. Um, some good people started road. Was it road to Emmanuel? Yeah, Emmanuel's, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What is it? Emmanuel. Yeah, something like if that. I'm saying it correctly. Yeah. Anyway, started that wonderful group, but I really didn't. Have, so I didn't have Mormons building bridges anymore. But I felt, for some reason, I felt called to go. And then, so while I'm on a Zoom young men's meeting for the branch that I serve in, um, I I'm thinking I don't have a sign, and so. You know, I, I come up with this sign, um, which I carry, which somehow ended up, and again, I was notified by 
a fellow parade member, they got printed up in the Tribune on an article on it. And you can't see my face. Um, I'm holding up the sign. And I'm trying to remember what it says now. It basically says, um, I don't know, I'll have to come back to that. I can't, I can't remember. But it, it, it seemed to move and touch a lot of people. Um, and it was just very simple. Um, that encapsulated my support. You know, Richard, it's, I'm not great at this kind of stuff off the cuff. <laughs> You're doing fine. But um, I, there's so many things, um, whether it's the Faith Again group that started that I had no intention to start and it just evolved to my involvement as, you know, advisory board member with Faith Matters to just random interactions with people that, that feel, um, and, and it's hard for me to, again, cause I have, I have this atheistic tendency, this very rational mind tendency, but I, as I apply that, that lens to a number of my experiences, it, it, it fails. It just can't, it can't explain. And, um, um, so it contributes in a great part to my um, ongoing faith. I don't say I know there's a God. Um, I have great confidence and belief, and I believe evidence that there is. Um, and that God, the character of God, is so much more inclusive and expansive, and I would say evolving even, which is rooted in our theology, than we want to allow that the Protestantism that kind of infected our church decades and decades, that kind of counteracted Joseph Smith's more revolutionary ideas <laughs> about God um, and, and our eternal progression, that, that there's just so much that we don't know. So much. And, and that's great. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, it, it sounds like hell to me to go to the next life and all of a sudden be omniscient and know everything. I mean, and, and to not have experiences that would challenge us, that would um, put us in deep relationships of, of difficulty and loving one another. I mean, it, I, it doesn't sound, it, it sounds like what the Garden of Eden was before Fortunately, Eve had enough presence of mind to say, I got to eat an apple. And, you know, Adam had enough presence of mind to go, I'm going to choose her. <laughs> you know, I'm going to stick with her because he was kind of confronted. Am I going to stick with, you know, this idea of God or uh, who commanded me to love this woman? Or am I going to stick with the person in front of me? And, I mean, isn't that Jesus' message to attend to those in front of us? And then we don't need to worry so much about the unknown and the big ideas, which may be true or false out there. But if we attend to Jesus' simple teachings of the two great commandments of love, moment by moment, we'll get there. We'll get to where God has asked us to go, wherever that is and whatever it looks like. And I don't need to know. I just need to know, am I trying? I don't need to do it perfectly. I never do. 
am I trying to love those in front of me like Jesus would? And Jesus has some great stories and great parables and great examples of how that's done and some ones that are not easy and that require everything we've got and that make us change and we need to. I'd love you to talk about, I don't want to interrupt you because you've just, this is really, gives all of us, including me, an insight into your heart and um, who you are and your, and just your spiritual maturity um, and the love you have for all of Heavenly Father's children or Heavenly Parents' children. I'd love you to talk, if you want to, just about, you've got, you know, your wife and kids out of the church, and I think you've kind of inferred that. But talk about just how you love them and how, what advice you have. You've probably had lots of these discussions with parents in the church that have a spouse and your kids out of the church and just how to move forward. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned my oldest son, you know, started pulling away from the church. He went off and on, but, you know, he really wasn't happy being there. And he didn't have, he had one really good friend that was, um, in a year older than him. Um, and that was helpful. And it was helpful that that friend was pretty edgy, you know, but that friend also had just the biggest, greatest heart, which taught me because his appearance and sometimes other things, his dad was, was gay and, um, out of the church by then. And, um, a good dear friend of mine who taught me many things and still does. But um, I, I remember the first time, you know, early on when I saw this amazing young man with purple hair, long hair and all this stuff, you know, just this way I was raised. I mean, my dad, you know, was a John Bircher. I mean, he was so on the conservative side on one in, in this political realm. So on the loving side and the other, I'm sure that was helpful for me <laughs> to have both those things going on at the same time. And so that helped. And then um, I, I just, again, it's usually by making mistakes, you know, particularly in hindsight, I look back and think, yeah, that being kind of brought up short in different ways by my, my wife or my kids taught me a lot in terms of I, my expectations that I overlay on them and sometimes that I help the church overlay on them are not helpful. I, I just need to to love and accept them as they are. I mean, that moved along. And, and, and Jane, even though, you know, over the years, you know, she was active, but the temple was always a big issue. Um, um, I mean, she was the only member in her family. She went through institute. She'd drive her, soror- her sorority sister's home when they got drunk or drank, you know, maybe not got drunk, but just drank too much. And, and so this holding that space for other people was even a little challenge, more challenging when um, our oldest son, um, you know, so he had clearly left the church. He did some cool world travel things, trying to do some service stuff, became an atheist, um, didn't like the church, not, not just our church, but religion in general, felt like it's damaging to people. And, and then, um, we, we accidentally get introduced 
at one time to the girl he's dating, which he met in a strip club and she was the stripper. <laughs> so, you know, we, and then, and then we're doing a family photos at the Great Salt Lake with this friend I mentioned, the same friend with purple, went, originally had purple hair, went on a mission and took a great mission, all that. He's back being a photographer. Go out there and we're, we're going to go out there. And then Aaron shows up with her and we didn't know she was going to come. I mean, we've only met her briefly once. Um, and, and I, it was easier for me for whatever reasons, but Jane, probably because I'm a male and, you know, Jane's a female. And anyway, Garrett happens to be there already. And Jane just goes, Garrett, help me. This, this does not feel right having this woman, you know, with us. I, I, it's, I, I, I can't get over that. I don't remember exactly what he said. Um, but what he said helped her. And we all go out together to the Great Soul Lake. And um, she's not in the picture. She's not asking in the picture. She just kind of helps Garrett and everything. Um, so we get to know her a little bit. And then we're in different cars. I'm behind, I think, helping a truck that got, I think Garrett's truck that got stuck in the mud with my other son, Ben. Anyway, Jane ends up driving, um, driving her to where she works to drop her off for her shift. <laughs> and um, so now fast forward 12, 13 years later, what is it now? Something like that. I think they've been together 15 years. They're not legally married yet. Um, they've had their own little ceremony and own fun pirate reception at Liberty Park. But um, she is just a wonderful mother to our, two grand, our only two grandchildren. And she adores us and we adore her. And she had such a hard, rough upbringing, so hard. Which is why she appreciates being in a stable family and where she's loved, even though she does what she does. And even though she knows Jane and I aren't thrilled with it, <laughs> but we appreciate why she does it and why for her it is meaningful to her, not just for the money, but for what it brings to her self, um, self-respect and awareness. And I know for some people, they just won't be able to understand that. And that's okay. Um, but, and it, of course it would mean, it meant a lot to our son that we would put our arms around her. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it was not as embracing, embracing probably at the very front end, as it is now, you know, is, is in a relationship, but, um, she knows of her unwavering support and, and appreciation and, and respect for her. So, so that was good. And so Ben, our, our middle son, he was super active in the church, never the church and testimony were never an issue. He had some, he had an experience that he shared with us on an EFY alone bed. It gave him really firm conviction what what um, at the time he thought was a spiritual experience and he felt, and I still do, but he sees it differently now. And, um, you know, he went on his mission, served a great mission. Again, unlike, you know, my daughter and, and Aaron, who really struggled with the church, he had a group of good friends, a large group of good friends um, at Skyline that... Um, 
that they just it, it worked. It worked for him and, until it until it didn't. <laughs> After his mission, you know, I think it was within a year. A number of things happened. His his story will be different than mine. I'll just so I won't really get into it because he has a very different view of what brought him out of church he just basically would say well i realized i was duped you know i realized how harmful religion is i i realized that the church abused me that i was abused by the church and that you as my father you helped that abuse and i'm not talking about obviously physical kind of abuse but more of a spiritual abuse um but so yeah, he, you know, he still, and this is, I think he's just about 10 years married now. Anyway, so he's still very, um, still very unhappy with the church and religion in general. You know, it's not, yeah. And, and you know, he said some really hard and hurtful things to me, you know. Um, and to the church that I appreciate and see differently. Um, and that's helped me, you know, as again, what, what helps me is when I, when I read, you know, love your enemy, um, walk with them that force you to walk a mile or who take your coat, give them your cloak. All these things are, so after someone has, has caused you injury or suffering, Go with them on your own volition now more. Um, you know, sit with them, listen to them like, like you're doing. Listen and try to feel where they're coming from. And I find as I've applied that in not just that relationship, but that original dear friend um, that I bought, that we bought that duplex with and we're business partners, started a business with. I mean, after three or four years, that all blew apart just horribly, painfully. You know, he was single. We were married. I started having kids. It just, you know, I was young and stupid, immature. <laughs> and he had his own issues. We all did. And we were all trying to figure out it, and we, we didn't do it. But it broke my heart, you know, after that, that we weren't reconciled. And I pursued it. It took 25 years of reaching out. Before we could become friends again. It was a beautiful moment. I can picture that first embrace because we were dear, dear friends. But what, what made that happen, and it wasn't just on my side, he did his own work, but for me, what I've seen in relationships is if I, again, try to attend to those things that Jesus taught, that, that that can heal relationships. And it can heal, I mean, we all have our own self-relationship, right, with ourselves. <laughs> That's why those two great commandments are really three. A, a love and respect for oneself is critical for us to be able to do that with others. and. The only way I believe we can love God is by loving others. That's why we're in this environment we're in of mortality. 
And if we don't get that right, I mean, just, you know, and there's many great other Christian authors and, or even the Dalai Lama, you know, my religion is kindness. I mean, this truth is universal out there. And, and it's, to me, it's like God saying, I just gave you this one thing to do. <laughs> don't make it so darn complicated. Just get that right. That's all you need to do. Go back to your relationship. And I hes- hesitate to interrupt you. Go back to your relationship with Ben. Anything okay. you want to bring to closure on that? Because this is a beautiful story of where there's a lot of pain and then there seems to be reconciliation. Do you want to talk any more about your youngest son or do you want to talk about your wife too? Yeah, and my daughter too. My daughter's amazing. And we've got about 10 minutes. So oh, think okay. about so, how um, you want to manage that. Thanks. <laughs> so, you know, Ben and I are probably not reconciled. It's okay. We don't see things. I mean, if, if reconciliation, reconciliation is coming to an agreement on where, how we see things and believe, then that, I, don't, I don't know if that'll ever happen. I don't think it needs to. Um, you know, we, we're reconciled that at this point in our lives, we see and feel differently about things, but that our relationship matters and that we love each other. So that's, that's the important thing. Um, I mean, my oldest son, Aaron, too, he, you know, we, there, we find commonality in a number of things. And, and I could say that with Ben, too. There's, there's things. We, I find that as they pass on things for me to read, whether they're political, which they're very different politically, you know, they, they believe there should be no government. <laughs> and, um, and, and things in science and stuff like that. We, we can find some commonalities. And as I read what they give me, they're more open to reading what I give them. You know, um, again, we may not agree, but we do find commonalities and, and enjoyment and similar things. Um, I, I can say, so let me just talk briefly about Michelle. Um, so we adopted her at three and a half, a remarkable woman, you know, woman who's had to go through a lot. You know, um, a mother who was mentally ill, but had the presence of mind to put her up for adoption before she was found dead on the West side about six months later after we took her in. Um, and who, when we told her on advice from her counselor that we should tell her that her mother died, was just cried with this great anguish, heartbroken. And then you know, having an attachment disorder, which is normal for kids that get adopted and struggling to have good relationships all our life and struggling to feel, you know, like she was enough, I think. Um, getting involved in alcohol, and she's been very open about this on her Instagram. She posts pretty much every day. She just posted a week or so ago about it being her third year of sobriety. Wow. Yeah. And I think she's about a year and a half, almost two, into no more smoking. Um, independently lives on St. Croix in the Virgin Islands as a sea captain and does some other things to make a living. And, and she's one of my heroes. I mean, all my kids are my heroes in different ways. And my wife, because they've gone through hard things and done really challenging things. Um, I remember when Michelle told me at age 18, it was the day she turned 18. She said, I'm, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm, I'm done. She'd stayed in primarily for me, if not mostly. Yeah. Or if not all, but 
it just wasn't working for her. She never did form really um, great relationships um, with others within it. She had great, you know, some good some good leaders. Um, some things that I think bishops probably shouldn't have done then, and hopefully aren't doing anymore. <laughs> but um, anyway, she kind of leans more little Buddhists. You know, I think she believes there's a higher power. But yeah, a wonderful young lady um, who at one point was bisexual, was dating a woman. She's not, she's only dated men for a while now. That was an abusive relationship where she was in with a woman. Um, so anyway, and then my, my dear wife, uh, who, um, again, one of the things I married her for is because I could tell she had a depth of heart to marry a man who um, had cancer and 10 months later was dead. And, um, and I appreciate that a great deal about her and her patience with me as I, again, you know, I mean, men are typically more immature than a woman. And then, then, then you're marrying a man that's hot off his mission, <laughs> no school. I had no possessions, had no money and, um, just moved my clothes into her closet. <laughs> and I might've been, you know, it would have been nice. It's nice to think maybe I was a little more mature than some young men my age, but I'm still 22 and she's almost five years older. So with some serious life experience that I didn't have. So, you know, I think she put up with a lot. Probably still does, but I think I've gotten a lot better. I hope she'd say that. And, you know, about three or four years ago, she finally cut ties completely. She resigned from the church. Remember, it was at a conference Sunday. And uh, she gets on her laptop, she's typing, which I never see her do. And I said, what are you doing? I'm typing up my letter of resignation. Actually, it was a letter to her bishop, a neighbor of ours, a, a friend, just letting him know. I mean, she was thoughtful in how she did it and, and kind. And she's, you know, she's not antagonistic towards the church, but she does carry pain and some trauma. And she can get really upset and mad. And uh, sometimes I do with her, you know, <laughs> with things that the church does or hasn't done yet, changed yet. Um, but um, our, I think our relationship's better than it's ever been and better than it was when she was in the church and it was kind of where she was causing her harm. You know, I've come to believe, Richard, that, um, and I actually heard um, Fiona Gibbons at My Faith Again a couple of months ago. She said something very similar. but. You know, for some time now, I've I've believed that not everybody is meant to be a member of our church. And that, that shouldn't be revolutionary or shocking. You know, I, I believe it's in our theology. But considering how many children God has and has had come to this existence and how so very few know about our church, so very few even know about Jesus. And to think that you have to believe and know those things to be loved of God in this life and to live a good life, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not the God I believe in. And especially as I've, as I've spent so much time with people that have left the church, dear friends, new friends, and people that have never been a part of our church, I spend probably more time with them than I do with people of my own faith. And I see God working through them. I see God working and filling the Spirit and working through people who, you know, sometimes are still angry with the church. 
but I feel the spirit in them. I feel them doing God's work. I've seen people leave the church and do important work for God. And I, I truly believe that. And I, and I, and I can't, it, it doesn't, it's not rational to me. It doesn't make any sense within the framework of our church doctrine and gospel to see it any other way anymore. Even though I wouldn't have been saying that, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, it's been an evolution. But again, I can only bear witness to my experience. And that's that um, I have seen miracles and God work through ex-Mormons. <laughs> And um, and gay people, trans people, um, and so I it, it it's like we would testify in the church, right? I mean, that's my witness, and you don't have to believe it. Nobody has to believe it, but I mean, you can't change my experience, and I can't deny my experience or my conscience on the rational side of things when I when I am led and prone to try to make sense of the world that I live in. Um, so rationally, it works for me and for my personal experience and what, to use the vernacular we use in the church, the Spirit's born witness to me of that. And so I remain in, in this interesting space um, simply because that's where I feel God calls me right now. And I say right now because I am open to God calling me to wherever. And um, I'm very grateful where I am right now. It's, it's such an abundant place, um, particularly with beautiful people that continually teach me and I learn from, even like you and, and your brother Dave. And I, I just feel so very fortunate. And, and to continue to do this Faith Again group, you know? Talk about if our listeners... There's Faith Matters and there's Faith Again. Yeah. Talk about those two groups. Are they different? Are they tied? I know you're involved in both groups. So, and I think we'll link, link to both groups in our show notes. Okay, great. Talk about those two groups. Okay, real briefly. Faith, faith Again, I've been doing for, it'll be coming up 10 years. It grew out of a group called Think Again. You can get more details about the kind of, to me, God-led history of that on the website um and that's basically grew out of my own curiosity 10 years ago of why were so many people leaving including my kids um around faith around church history issues and so i was doing a group i was i inherited a group called think again and was facilitating that so it was really a think again group and that was the topic and i brought in some speakers and a speak yeah, a couple of speakers and normally we'd get, you know, a handful to 20 people for Think Again, and we got over 80 um, people to this event. And um, the, the person, I don't, I don't have a house big enough to host these. And so the host, um, she suggested that maybe we have a separate group for that issue. And so that's how Faith Again started. Anyway. Um, and, that, and listeners, that's at faithagain.org. Is it? No, that's not. No, it's, I put it on that sheet. It's think again. Okay. Dash faith again dot life. Okay. So scratch what I said. It's think again hyphen faith again dot life. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. Thanks. 
And um, anyway, I, you know, it's given me a chance to, and it, people are so generous with their time. And so the thing again is basically secular stuff um, that I'm curious about. Faith again is, you know, difficult questions and things. You've, you've, I've had you help do a faith again before, Richard, and you did a wonderful job. Um, so faith matters. Um, I'm not sure when it started, maybe four years ago, something like that. But I, so Bill Turnbull used, to, uh, who's one of the founders along with his brother and their wives, um, he used to come to my faith again. And then he started asking me to lunch and then he started sharing his vision, his idea of creating this faith matters. Um, and then eventually I was put on the advisory board. Um, we don't, we don't have much to do with day-to-day things as an advisory board, but we get to meet, you know, um, these wonderful retreats that Bill and his brother and their wives put on, um, and now others as it's grown, um, where we talk about what's important, what we see, what we think needs to, what we need to think, what we think needs to focus on and be explored. And, you know, I think I just, uh, I just see God's hand in faith matters. I just, you know, you probably heard about the restore conference. I don't know if you had a chance to go to it, but I did. My wife and I went to, um, quite a bit of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. She particularly was, she loves Jared Halverson. So there were some Mm. speakers in particular that we both, yeah, but we just, I just thought it was great. I was able to attend most of it. Good. Good. It's just terrific. But it was an unprecedented event. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't Sunstone. It wasn't Thrive that John DeLynn's been trying to get going for that far side. It, it was, was just this beautiful kind of middle space. Middle space. And yeah. so, and that listeners will link to that in the show notes if you're not familiar with Faith Matters. It's faithmatters.org. Yes. Um, and I don't think your story's done sharing, but I just wanted to share some thoughts and then let you have the final. You can go as long as you want in your final segment. Um, if you want to hear Suzanne Stott, who also yeah. told me how much she loves um, you and your wife, that's episode 584. She also serves the same branch, and she's terrific. She's amazing. I love one of the guiding principles of your whole life that comes out to me is the character of God and how you've used your understanding of the character of God to navigate really complicated stuff. Um, way back to the gal you gave a blessing to with leukemia, to right. the ceiling and the complexity of your own family situation. And I think that's a credit to you in the complexity of your life is that you've come back to the character of God and your understanding of the character of God. And that has given you a foundational principle to live with the complexities of mortality and the answers that we don't have. Um, And to live with the nuance of that, you've got, you still have this ceiling that's, (laughs) I assume that hasn't been resolved. And now your wife isn't in the church. So so that never (laughs) got resolved. I don't don't worry about any of that with my kids. And I think it comes back to this feeling, you know, the character of God that gives you peace. And that, to me, listeners, if you're working through really complicated stuff, what Jay is sharing um, about the character of loving heavenly parents and that we're their children and they love us and their character. I love you use that word. Um, God is a character. (laughs) (laughs) I love love 
you didn't say this, but I, you've taught this perfect love casteth out fear. You yeah. have, you have no fear of people that have left our church. You have no people fear of people in our church. You have no fear of children that have left the church. You've, because you've met all these people up close. People are hey, hard to hate up close, as Brene Brown says, move right. in. And you've been really good at just listening to people's stories. You mentioned trans people. You've mentioned how God works through people that not only aren't in our church, but were once in our church. And to me, that's back to your understanding of the character of God and that perfect love casts without fear. I don't think you have, a, you may have fear of people that want to vertigarize your home or, um, you know, inflict as your long runs, your runner. We haven't gotten to that. Um, so there, I don't want to say that if we honor that scripture of no fear in our life, we have logical fear, mm-hmm. but you have done in your ministry and your heart is just where we usually are fearful of people, other groups of people. You've seen them, I think, the way our heavenly parents see them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a great part of your ministry. Um, I love just looking at my notes. You know, you flew, I assume you flew her home from Dearborn 40 plus years ago. I don't know if you drove or flew. Yeah, I flew. And I have to think, you know, what your hopes were, you know, as you finished your mission yeah. for a family and temple marriage and I'm going to a, a new different location because that's not where I left from when I came home to because yeah. my parents moved. Yeah. But I guess I'm looking at your 62, your young 62 year old. If, you, <laughs> if this were video, people would think you're 62. But like a lot of us, your life is very different than you thought it would be mm. on your flight home from Dearborn. And I think it's a beautiful family love story. Oh, thank you. I think it's very different than perhaps what you thought it would be or hoped oh, yeah. it would be. But I think it's a beautiful family love story. And I think that's true of a lot of us that grow up as teens and 20s and have these kind of idealistic storybook versions of the future of our lives and the reality of mortality and the agency of others. And that's where I think you've done just a masterful job of preserving the relationship and um, living and keeping people in your lives. And um, you also said this line, attending to the things Jesus taught us can heal relationships. And I love the story, and that's probably a whole other story of your original business partner. Mm. But it seems like you always go back to Jesus, Jay. And that is a fundamental guideline, guiding post for your life is I look at how Jesus treated people and what he taught, and that's how I heal relationships. That's how I preserve relationships. And sometimes it does take a two-way street. Like I sense that the fellow also did some work to be able to have that relationship possible. Mm -hmm. So listeners, I'm going to turn it back to Jay, but I'm just, I've known Jay and I've heard him speak, but I'm struck by the depth of his heart. And he won't like me saying this, the depth of his goodness and his spiritual maturity. And I think that I've noticed a pattern when people have to deal with really complex things that you've had to deal with. It deepens you in a beautiful way that allows you to heal and help other people because you've had to do that in your own life. Yeah. And it's not just theoretical and it's not, it's, and it's real. And then you're able to give that gift to others because you know how to do it. And you are doing that. So please check out again, Faith. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes, Faith Matters. And I'll turn it back to you, Jay, for anything you want to say in closing. How much time do I have? (laughs) 
You can go <laughs> 10 minutes if you want to. Richard, you've been so kind and generous and as I and and, and helpful in helping me tell this. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um I probably said most things. You know, another element is I've thought about what helped me through my faith journey and working through some really difficult periods in my marriage. Oh, that is one thing I want to say. So there was a time where Jane and I were really, really struggling. I mean, we've, we've had some real ups and downs in our marriage, but there was a, a time where we were really struggling. And I, I really, I just was really down and really worried that, you know, the relationship might not make it and which as I thought about it, that would impact so many other things. You know, I, I don't know what that would do with my relationships with my kids and and all these things. And um, so I went to the temple, and at the end of the endowment session, I snuck off down at Salt Lake Temple in one of the side rooms, ceiling rooms, to pray. And on my knees, I uh, just poured out my soul to God. And, and this was not a long period that this took. And it's not like I heard any voice, but the impression was very distinct and very, um, very real for me. And it basically said, you know, you can lose your marriage, you can lose your kids, you can lose your job, you can lose your house. You'll never lose me. I will always have your back. And I think that really helped me. Um, let go of, because I think as a young father and husband, and then through the teen years, each of our kids gave us some serious challenges <laughs> in their own ways. Um, it was, it felt like a battleground when our kids were teenagers. It just was so hard. Um, and none of them were the same challenges. <laughs> and And these are, all my kids I just adore and so does Jane we just love them to death and are so grateful they come over most every Sunday for dinner and that we can be with them and they still they've forgiven us and still want to be with us and love us but to um, I lost my train of thought with that um, to continue to have those relationships despite that difficulty when we, oh, yeah, I remember. So Jane and I were having some difficulties and and I, again, I'll take responsibility for the part of that and how I framed the world and the church and stuff myself. And um, But that temple experience, being able to let go of that feeling like I've got to save my family, I've got to somehow and they're all going different directions. They're they're not holding on, you know. Um, I mean, Ben was at the time, um, but I think that you know that's something that just really helped. Is it? I mean, I can lose everything, but I will not lose the love of God or the care of God, and uh, that is just such a freeing thought. You know, because for me, that's what matters most, I guess. It's kind of how I operate. Um, that might not, you know, I think different frameworks work for different people. So what's 
what's valuable is if people will be curious and think deeply and will be willing to challenge their assumptions and sometimes their long-time beliefs. And if they're truth, if they're good beliefs, they'll hold up to scrutiny. We can we can excavate them, we can dig deep. And if it's if it's real, what what's real and true will still be the gems that we find. And and hopefully in that excavation we'll get rid of a lot of the silly stuff the stuff that's actually keeping us from living the way god would hope we would live um and i I found that to be a great blessing in my life as as i've explored you know the church history and and then i and there's so much i love about the church and it's so grateful for it in so many ways i don't read a lot about the church and in the church you know i mean i've always read widely you know science and philosophy and history and all these amazing things and these amazing people that have been on the earth they're god's children and they've done a lot i mean the fact that we can do this is not because some member of our church had a revelation that we can have the technology to do this you know the fact that people are being fed in many parts of the world because of some technological advances or saved because of some medicines or I mean, there's just, there's so many people that lived on the earth doing, I think, what God wanted them to do. And it wasn't associated the way we like to think in a church at all, maybe, you know, and sometimes by some amazing atheists, you know, <laughs> that didn't even believe in God. I don't think God cares that much about that. I think God cares how we treat each other. At the end of the day, that's what matters. <laughs> you know, that's what matters most. So that's probably all I need to say. Probably said too much. No, you haven't. Thank you, Jay, for being on the podcast. I wrote down your wife's name because I've had the chance to meet her once and I just felt that I know it can remember and just felt, you know, what a wonderful woman she is. And you've paid tribute. You've paid tribute to her. And Jane, if you're listening, I've had multiple people tell me your impact for good in their life. And Mm -hmm. Thank you for your contributions to make this world a better place. Jay, the same way. And um, I love, I'm going to say just a little bit, then I'm going to sign off. I do agree in our theology. To your point earlier in the podcast, there's room in our theology that God works through all of his children um, to accomplish his means to make this world a better place. And that, to me, is a comforting feeling, not a threatening feeling. And and can I just interject? And, And they don't have to be perfect. Yeah. They don't have to be doing everything right. I mean... I had a friend years ago that was brought into the church from a woman that he met in a bar who was an inactive member that he needed needed temporal help to pay his rent. She t- went to a, her bishop. Bishop was a good bishop. He didn't care if the guy was not a member and helped him with his rent. And he became eventually a young men's president. And just, I mean, you don't have to be perfect to hear God's voice. You can be a sinner. <laughs> I mean, we all are. So, <laughs> Jay wanted me to mention that he has another wonderful daughter-in-law that he loves, Ben's wife, who, like Lexi, was once also an active member of the church, and his appreciation to so many unmentioned who have contributed to his abundant journey along the way. So, anyway, listeners, we will sign off. This is Jay Griffith and Richard Osler. So grateful that you joined us and grateful for Jay being on the another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>